0: Hey, I'm Arthur. I'm one of the pastors here, and thanks for being at South Crest this morning. And uh, I love hearing stories about one of our mission partners. And uh, we've got some more things to tell you about mission-wise uh, in just a few weeks. And uh, God's just opened up some incredible opportunities for us. So we're really excited about some things we'll be able to share with you really soon. And uh, anybody go to a wedding yesterday? Anybody? Yeah, yeah me too. It's hot. Real hot. I, I don't know when this happened i I, I can't put my finger on it but you know i don't know three four five i don't know maybe eight years ago, people thought it was real cool to get married in a barn it's not <laughs> you know it's cool because you got you know you want to stay you can stay there a long time because you know you used to be you get married at some little church and they have a little you know fellowship hall, and you, you get some you know some gherkins and some uh butter mints and some Ritz crackers, you're like, hey, that's pretty good. (laughs) And uh, now you sit outside and sweat. I mean, you know, at least there was air conditioning at the, you know, the little church fellowship hall or whatever, right? So anyway, um, you know, some really good friends of mine uh, got married yesterday. So Noah and Cheyenne, it was beautiful. But please don't ever ask me to sit outside in the heat for seven hours again. Uh, I love you. You know I do. Uh, But I I extracted a promise from my other children yesterday that they would get married in air conditioning. (laughs) If we're getting married outside, it's going to be in January, right? So anyway, if you're watching online today, I want to welcome you and say thanks for uh, watching and participating today. And if there is anything we can do for you and you want to let us know about something personally, just uh, email us hello at southcrest.tv and we'll do all we can to help you. And I also want to welcome our LaGrange campus today, and thank you for participating with us as well. Uh, We've had a great day today, and I'm just anticipating God's going to continue to do great things here. Uh, You know, I guess like a lot of people in the room, uh, I grew up in a home with a drug problem. Uh, My parents drugged me to church every Sunday whether I wanted to go or not. (laughs) There you go, bad preacher joke, but there you go. Uh, but, but that's what we did. And I, I didn't want to go. And I was like, you know, hey, do we have to? And, you know, and it was okay when I was a little kid. When I was six, seven, eight years old, it was okay. But as I got older, I like, I don't really like this church thing so much. And because I, I would see things that people would say one thing and do something different. Or I would get promised something and the promises would never follow through on. Or just that something just wasn't connecting. And I'm like, well, why are we going here? And, you know, I got to be a little older where I could process some things. And I could start to think abstractly and not just process concrete thoughts. And I began to think, this, there's, there's a disconnect here. This is not working. And so as I got older, I, like, I, I'm not sure about this church thing. And by the time I was 13, 14 years old, I was done. Uh, but I, you know, kept going because I had a drug problem. Uh, they kept dragging me to church. And so uh, I got saved when I was a senior in high school. And I thought, this is great, and Jesus changed my life. And I started reading the Bible, and I was going, but the things I'm seeing in the Bible, I don't see those things at church. And so I got real disenchanted with church. I mean, I, I was, you know, I went to college, I went to seminary, but I was like, man, there's something not right here. That there, there, There's a serious disconnect between what we read in the Bible in between, uh, and between and, and church. And so, I, you know, God had called me into student ministry. And so because I was in student ministry, he opened some doors for me to do some things where I could do ministry that was different, uh, where we could reach people in ways that were outside the confines of uh, a very traditional-minded kind of church. And it wasn't that the traditional church was a bad thing. It was just that the, there were so many churches that were not being the body of Christ. There was something else going on. And it just, it just really, you know, it it kind of bothered me. And I, you know, I got to the point uh, I was working as at a as a student pastor at a church, and I had this conversation with someone. As a matter of fact, it was on the, uh, in Gwinnett County when we used to live here years ago, in the parking lot of SunTrust Bank. And I had this conversation with the guy, and one thing led to another, and he ended up committing his life to Christ uh, in the parking lot that afternoon. And so I was just kind of helping him get started. And I said, so, you know, here's a couple of things you need to do. And we talked about praying, talked about reading the Bible. I said, you're going to need to get to a church where they're going to teach the Bible and you can really be connected uh, with other believers. And I realized that the church that I worked at was not going to be a good place for me to invite him because of where he had been and the things he'd been involved in. And I thought, you know what, I- I'm going to need to help him go somewhere else. So I took a Sunday off from the place where I was working to take him to church somewhere else. Uh, just to say, hey, here's a good place for you to go and a place for you to be. Uh, and I, I got to the point, I, I mean, God was calling me away from the church, but I was like, I, I need to be around people who are lost. And, you know, I'm a professional Christian. And so I have to work really hard to find people who are not Christian, because the people I work with supposedly are Christians. That's, I mean, that's on the job application, right? Uh, so that, but so if you work on on... Staff at a church, you've got to, you know, kind of say, Hey, God, um, help me find somebody. Right? And so I, I started traveling and speaking in different places so that I could have an opportunity to be with people who are far from God. So I spoke at, sco- at school campuses and at different events uh, so that I could have an opportunity to interact with people. It just became a just sort of a driving passion for me. And, and then I, I began to realize that, you know, there's a different way to do. Things, and we don't have to be wed to something we've done for forever. We can do things differently. And so, uh, you know, God began to kind of change me and show me that, no, that, that I really should have this deep love for the church and I should support the church and not just sit there and go, oh, they have fixed everything. And so God really began to work in me in that. And, you know, and, and one of the things that I realized was that people who were far from God loved hanging out with Jesus, And that's when I began to really think about some things and began to consider the way that I was doing things and the way that the churches that I was serving, that that we could do things differently because people who were far from God loved me around Jesus. Religious people did not. The Pharisees didn't want to be around him so much. They could just say, no, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. We don't like what you're saying. We don't like what you're doing. But, see, I, I realized something was wrong because when I would invite somebody to church, and maybe you've had the same kind of thing happen when I would invite someone to church, I felt like I would have to, to talk them into it and say, look, I'll buy you lunch and I'll give you a t-shirt and I'll get you some coffee and I'll, I'll come wax your car and uh, just, just please go, please go, please go. And they'd go, ah, I don't want to. And I was like, well, something is wrong because the, the church is the body of Christ and because the church is the body of Christ, people want to be drawn here and there's something, I was like, there's something just not quite right. I'm just trying to figure those things out. And, and, and part of that is talking about what God has in store for us. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we started this series moving forward. And the first week, we talked about, uh, we talked about grace. We talked about that God loves us no matter what. You can't do anything to make God love you anymore. more. You can't do anything to make God love you any less. And then last week we talked about how do you take these steps to grow in your relationship with Jesus and what has God got in store for you. We talked about jumping deeper into the river we talked about last week. And so maybe you're starting to see a pattern here because uh, at Southcrest we've got four G's that we talk about. And so our, our values. So we did, we've did, we done grace and we've done growth and so today we're going to do generosity and I want to show you today how to do the most generous thing you can ever do for someone. So if you've got a Bible, I'm in Luke chapter 15. And we're going to start in verse 1. And this is a pretty familiar passage of Scripture, I think, for almost everyone in the room. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They wanted the sinners. I mean, who wants to? say, hey, sinner, you don't want a label hung on you like that, but that's what was going on. Uh, So the tax collectors, they were considered to be traitors. If you were uh, Jewish and you uh, were a tax collector, you were taking money from the Jewish people and giving it to the Romans, so you were considered to be a traitor. Uh, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Uh, You ever hear people grumble? If you haven't, tomorrow morning about 930 at the office, walk around. People will be grumbling. Uh, Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him. He said, look, they not only said, hey, he's interested. They want to spend time with him. They invited Jesus into their home. They said, there's something that's so significant about him. I want him to come into my home. See, they were comfortable with him. They they liked him. They enjoyed being around him. Now, here's the thing. Um, Most people, most people um, don't have a problem with God. People who are far from God, you know, most of them don't have a problem with him. You know, because there are really very few atheists. Very, very few. And see, when people have a crisis, what do they do? They call out to God, even if they don't know him. They say, well, God, you know, God, if you're there, or if there is a God, or maybe they heard something about it, or maybe they grew up around that, maybe their grandmother told them a story about God, and they'd say, well, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to try something. Most, most people don't have a problem with God. Most people don't have a problem with the Bible. I mean, even people who say, I don't believe the Bible, will look at this as literature and say, you know, there are some helpful things in here. Uh, love one another. Honor one another. And they say, yeah, I, I think that's a good thing. Those are, those are good principles uh, to live by. And so don't look at it like that. But, but here's the thing. They don't have a problem with God or with the Bible. They have a problem with church. Why do they have a problem with church? far too many times the church is not being the body of Christ. See, when you, when you look at Jesus, you look at him and you say, well, look, he's, he was authentic and he was genuine, he was humble. He's not saying, hey, look at me. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and he was loving. He was authentic, genuine, humble, loving, and a whole lot more. But, but here's the thing. Far too many times the church has stopped being the body of Christ. What's what's the significance of that? Here's the significance of that. Until Jesus comes back, we are the closest thing that the world will see to Jesus until he comes back. We are the representation of Jesus until he comes back. And when we are the body of Christ, when we are all all of us serving and giving and helping and loving and doing the things that God has called us to do, he's equipped us to do, we're fulfilling our role in the kingdom. When we are all doing that, we are irresistible to people who are far from God. When we become the body of Christ, people will be drawn here because they're like, oh, it's like seeing Jesus. And until he comes back, we'll be the closest representation, representation of Jesus that the world will see. So what a great opportunity we've got to do the things that Jesus did for us to be genuine, authentic, humble, loving. Not for us to point ourselves, point ourselves to look how good we are, how great we are, uh, but to be the real deal. So let's keep going, keeping all that in mind. It says, so he told them this parable. I'm in verse four. It says, what man of you, is talking to the men, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And the men go, yeah, that's like, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd do the same thing. If I lost a yeah, sheep, yeah, I'd do that. And they're like, hey, this guy's pretty smart, right? And we all get that. Look, when you lose something, what happens? You're like, I gotta find it, right? Man, when's the last time you lost your car keys? Did you invite panic in your house? Everybody in your, to come into your panic? Say, hey, everybody help me. where are my keys? Did you do that? And it's not you, it's somebody else. Hey, who moved my keys? <laughs> Why are the women laughing and the men are quiet? <laughs> All right, we'll do marriage in a few weeks. <laughs> no, but, but here, right, right, oh, I got and, and in that moment, even though you've got a spare set of keys, I need my keys. Where are they? And that's all you can think about. Ladies, how about you? <laughs> Men going back time. No, here, here, here's the thing. I don't know, a few years ago, Lori lost an earring. It's an earring, right? It was important, but, you know, it's an earring. You know, I can't find my earring. Where is it? I don't know, sweetheart. All right. So, but I'm doing my deal. I'm crawling through the carpet, looking for it. Right. And we're all trying to find it and see, you know, you're, you're, you know where it is. And see, and, and those, in those moments, all she is thinking about is, where's that earring? Where's that earring? I'm thinking, you have a whole drawer full of earrings? But she's never at one point going, ah, forget that earring. Look at these other earrings I have over here. She's didn't open the jewelry door and say, well, I don't, you know, I really don't need that. No, it was, the focus was all on that just for those, that short amount of time, right? It says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Right? You find the car keys. Hey, I got them. They're right over here. Somebody says, where'd you leave them? like, I don't know, but I found them. You rejoice over it, right? Oh, I found this earring. It, It rolled under the dresser. You're excited about it, right? He says, just so, you can read that in the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, check that out. Those two words are really important. He says, I tell you, there will be more joy. He gets more excited more thrilled, more pumped over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care about the people who are already in a relationship with him. No, you are his child. He loves you. He wants the very best for you. you are, he has adopted you. You have every right and privilege of a natural born child. He loves you with an immeasurable amount of love but he's very concerned for those who are lost, for those who are far from him. And then Jesus does something remarkable. He talks to the women. Now, in that culture, it was unheard of for someone to address women publicly. And sometimes people say that Jesus is very demeaning towards women, that Christianity is very demeaning toward women. Nothing can be further from the truth. There's no one in history that elevated the role of women more than Jesus. He says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, these 10 coins, uh, there's a lot of different thoughts about it, but uh, they think that typically represented like an engagement ring to her. uh, And those coins were representation of what um, she and her husband were going to have in their life together. But regardless, she's got these ten coins and she wouldn't go walking out if she'd lost a coin. She would like, I gotta find it, I gotta find it. It says, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. Same thing again. You lost something, you find it, what do you do? You celebrate. For I have found the coin that I had lost, just so I tell you. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, again, we see this same principle. It says, look, this is what's really important. This is what's driving the joy of God is when someone who is far from him comes into a relationship with him. So, you know, in in the same way, he says, God rejoices over those who are disconnected from him who become connected to him. See, and that, that word loss doesn't mean, oh, you're, you're a terrible person. No, that word loss communicates value, not lack of value. It communicates value. Verse 11, he goes on and tells another passage, uh, another story in this passage. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, you know this. You've heard this, right? The son comes up and says, Dad, I hate you. I wish you were dead. Look, because I really don't care about you. I want your money. I mean, it's as selfish as it gets. That's what's going on when this younger son says to his father in this story, he says, I hate you. I wish you were dead. All I really care about is your money. Just give me your money. Now, what father is going to say, well, why not? I'll just empty out my pockets. Take what you want, right? That's what the father does. And the people in Jesus' audience who are listening to him out there are going, seriously, your son talks to you that way and you don't pulverize him in that moment? Tell you one thing, my boy talked to me like that one time, I'd take care of him. I brought him in this world, I can take him out. Right? And you start, I mean, and a guy, and you know, we start kind of get all swollen up. You're not going to talk to me that way, boy. But that's what's going on. And so his father says, See, Yeah, here it is. And he takes it. He takes the, he, he, he takes the money and he, and he runs away. He's like, I don't care about you. I got your money. I don't want to be in a relationship with you. I'm taking off. And he goes and he squanders all the money. It was a lot. And he ends up, he's at this point where he's like, you know what I've got to do? i I got nothing to eat. And so he's feeding pigs. And for a Jewish audience, again, they go, because pigs are uncleaned. You can't touch one, much less be around them. And he says, I'll eat the food that the pigs don't eat. When the pigs get done eating and they don't have anything else to eat, I'll pick up their food and eat it. The stuff that they said I don't want to eat. That's what's going on. And it says that he comes to his senses and he remembers, oh, oh, yeah. I have a father and I've come to the end of myself. I chased down my plan. My plan did not working out. Things were not going the way I hoped they were. I, th- I thought I was going to have this great life, but I did my plan. It's not working at all. I got to do something different, right? And so he works on this speech. He says, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, now nah, I can't say that. Nah, I can't. Well, maybe I can say that. He, he's working it out, and so he finally gets his point. And he says, "Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." So this is a speech he's got worked out, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. See, here's the here's the deal. The men again are going, "What? Are you kidding me? That?" son rebels against his father, shows him complete disrespect, complete dishonor. And the father is looking for when he's going to come back. He, he's, he's looking out for him. He, he sees him a long way off. And this father who has been humiliated by his son, this father would hike up his robe so he could run and go meet his son out in the middle of this field. You know, look at me, he's going not me, not me. I tell you what, my son acts like that. When he comes over here and when he says, I'm sorry, 418 times, I'll think about it. I'm not going over there. He owes me. And, and then what happens? It says, it says that he kissed him and he embraced him. Like, are you kidding me? Who does that? Who in the world does that? I would never do that. Those men are sitting there thinking. And let me just call a quick time out here for just a minute. I I don't know why you ended up here today. You know, maybe you wanted to be here. Maybe you planned to be here. Maybe you have a drug problem. Somebody drug you here today. Maybe you thought, you know what? Today would be a really nice day to go see the inside of a warehouse. (laughs) Hey, babe, let's drive around and just find a warehouse that's open, and we'll just walk in there and see what's going on. I, I have no idea. I have no idea how you got here today or why you got here. But maybe you're here today and you have disrespected your heavenly father. Maybe you've dishonored him. Maybe you didn't realize you were doing it at the time, but maybe you've been doing your own plan and you're figuring out, I'm going to do it this way because I think my way is better than his way. And maybe this week, maybe yesterday, you realize that your plan is not working. That the things that, that you are formulating, thinking through, it's not going to work. Thought you could fix your marriage, restore the relationship with your kid. Maybe you thought you had this really good idea at work and it just all blew up in your face on Friday. But it doesn't matter what you have done or how far away you have run, that your Heavenly Father is looking for you to return. And you know what? You don't have to do anything. Because you know what? You just look in His direction to tell Him, hey, I'm coming home. And he's going to come running to you. And he's going to embrace you and kiss you. And you're going to find out. And you've got this speech. Going to, I don't care about the speech. I care about you. You don't have to say it. You don't to go through all that stuff. I just want you to know that I love you. That's what you're going to find out that's going to happen. So verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But it's almost as though the father goes, shh, shh. I don't need to hear that. Because it says, but. And so that was going on. The father goes, that's not really important. It's that word but. Good word to circle. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. If you've been far from God, if you've run away, when he, you just look his direction and there is going to be a celebration in heaven today. Because you have decided to come home. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And the older brother rejoiced and celebrated and said, this is what I have been dreaming would happen. Sorry, I'm reading out a different version. That was out of the ASV, the Arthur Standard Version. What did say? He was angry. He was angry. Sometimes, when I have talked with churches about this, about keeping people who are far from God in mind about how God rejoices from, from when people who are far from him come into a relationship with him. You know what some people do? But what about me? I'm his child. Doesn't he care about me? Why are you just talking about them? Why are you not talking about it? Why are you not talking about me? I mean, we're his family. Doesn't he care about us? Yes. It's not either or. It's both and. It amazes me that people go, why do you care so much about lost people? Really? I, I, don't, I don't have a verse for this. This is just Arthur's opinion, okay? So I, I'll try and tell y'all when I'm telling you something, it's my opinion that's not from Scripture. So this is Arthur's opinion. If we want to see the hand of blessing on Southcrest, and we want to see God do more here than we could ever ask, think, or imagine, if we want to see him glorified here, not for our sake, not to point at us, but so that we can humbly serve him and give him glory, when we start getting really concerned about lost people and we focus on being the body of Christ, we'll see more here than we ever thought we would see. That's just Arthur's opinion. He said, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Again, the men in the group going, what is up with this guy? His other son is acting like a pain in the rear end, and he's going to go out and say, no, 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 it's okay. And he's trying to, he's trying to love on his other son. What's up? With him? What kind of man is this? But he answered his father. He says, look, these many years, in other words, I have always been here. These many years. Look, I have never walked away from you. I've always been here, he says. I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But... When the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fat and calf for him. What is up with that? He says, You're feeding him filet mignon and you won't even give me a hot dog. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's important. It's important. It was lost. Communicates great value. How many people in here who are married have no idea where your marriage license is? It's important. But it's not that important, is it? You don't know where it is. Well, I, we could find it. It's, it it's, it's lost, but you're not looking for it. It's not very valuable. We, we look for things that, that are valuable. And so the, the question is, as we're being the body of Christ, are we looking for people who are far from God? Are we building relationships with people who are far from God? Or are we just hoping that they show up? There was somebody here last Sunday. I loved this. Did you know we have absolutely people, people who are so far from God showing up here every week? Did you know that? See, because I, I can I can see almost everything from up here. Uh, and so I, I get to see people's expressions and things. And so sometimes I see, I see things. But, you know, last week, one of the things, because uh, usually, you know, I sit and, uh, and stand and sit and stand and uh, I sing and, do, and worship with everybody before I come up and teach. So there was somebody sitting in front of me last week. And so it was time for offering. So somebody came and handed that person the offering basket. And I have no idea. I was just watching because I was fascinated. I, I was watching. And um, I handed him the basket, and then he went. He looked at the person beside him, and the person beside him went. And so, I don't know where he sat. And I thought, I think I've already got one of these, uh, or I don't need one. And he just set it on the floor. You know. So, the people in the rest of his row were like, dude, what the. You're messing up. <laughs> he didn't know. He didn't know. I love that. I love that. The people who were here loved somebody enough that he felt welcome here. Lost people are important. Um, my middle child, his name is Jonathan, and Jonathan's blonde hair, blue eyes, and all personality all the time. And um, when he was uh, when he was little, all five of us—Lori, Josh, Johnson, Hannah, and me—we were at the Cleveland County Fair. And uh, you know, when you're when your kids are little, you think it's all cool to put on. Uh, I'll wear overalls and go to the county fair. And this county fair is like the bigger than most state fairs. And then you get to be a little older and everybody wears overalls and they go, you need medication. Um, but anyway, they were little. And so we all had overalls and all that kind of stuff. So we're walking around at the, uh, at this county fair and, and you know, and so we've been there all day and we, you know, seen the cows and the chickens and the pigs and the tractors and uh, you know, we'd eaten cotton candy, We went to demolition derby. And if you've never been to demolition derby, you should go one time before you die. So, Anyway, so we're watching that um, and we get through with that. We're walking around. It's gotten to be dark and we just all been kind of hanging around all day. And then somebody turns around and goes, where's Jonathan? I'm like, he's right back over there. And so then I turned and looked. He wasn't right back over there. And there's a lot of people. And, you know, at that point, he's about this tall. And so, you know, lots of adults. I can't see him because he's that tall. And so I'm okay. He'll show up in a minute. And then then the panic hits, Right. Where is he? Where is he? And, and, and all I could think about for a few minutes was, I got to go find Jonathan. I got I to find Jonathan. I didn't, and, you know, and, and so I'm, start, I'm running around. I'm going, Jonathan, Jonathan. It's loud out there. I don't know if you he hear me or not. It's dark. I'm thinking, you know, he's so friendly. Somebody, he's going to make a friend and go get in a car for somebody and leave. I'll never see him again. And so I'm, I'm panicking a little bit, right? And I'm going, go, 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 go. And here's the thing is that whole time I never sat there and thought, you know what? I've already got a boy and a girl. I've got a match set. <laughs> I mean, almost everybody when they get married said, well, if we could have a little boy and a little girl, we'd be good. And I'm like, well, I had two boys and a girl, so now this is good. I don't pay for college. This is going to be good. I don't have to buy my car. I don't, this is going I, Somebody else can have. No, I never thought that for a second. All I could think about was He's lost. <clears throat> I knew the other ones were safe and found, and, I, and it didn't, I didn't love them less. I just wanted to go get the one who was lost. My, I, I knew where Josh and, and Hannah were. It didn't mean I loved him any less. I just wanted to go get him. Look, you, you, you don't have to know the Bible to invite someone, to lead somebody to a relationship with Jesus. You just got to live the life. That's what you need to do. You need to know Jesus. Right? Because when somebody comes up, you've lost 40 pounds. And somebody comes up, to you, what did you do? And you start telling them, well, this is what I did. And they go, I think I might try that too. Happens all the time. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this is an if-then statement. Right? It says, if you have love for one another, then people will know that you are my disciples. That is what makes Southcrest unique. That's what makes South Gretz something incredible because you probably don't know this, but you know, I was here a few times before I started serving as your pastor here. Before I started serving as one of the pastors here. And, and look, see, nobody knew we were here except the people on the vision team. But see, you're interviewing me and I was interviewing you because this is not about a job for me. This is about I'm bringing my family here. Were you going to love my wife? Were you going to love my children? And I saw this incredible love that you have for one another and that we have for one another. And I began to go, oh, yeah, this is something incredible, something remarkable here. It's what makes... South Crest unique. And as we become the body of Christ and we're authentic and genuine and humble and loving, what will happen is that people will, will be drawn to here. But we'll also have to go invite them and say, will you come here? You know, because maybe you can already lead someone to Jesus on your own. That's great. And if it makes you nervous, bring them here. I'll do it. I'm really good at it. I'm, I'm really good at telling people, hey, this is how to a relationship with Jesus. See, it's not the building. It's not the indoor playground. It's not the band. It's not the coffee. It's Jesus in us. And the very most generous thing that you can ever do is lead someone to a relationship with Jesus. So, what if you gave him a million dollars? No. What if you gave him a million dollars here? That would be great. But the most generous thing that you could ever do is to lead someone into a relationship with Jesus. So let me ask you two things real quickly. Would you begin to pray earnestly, God, will you show me three people that I can build relationships with? And it may take years, but three people that I could play a role in helping to lead them to a relationship with you. Would you get honest before God and and pray about that? And then, would you... Invite one person next week because next week we're talking about the gospel. And I'm just going to share the gospel next week. Would you invite someone next week you know that's far from God? Someone needs to be encouraged. Would you do that? And here's, I'm not going to be offensive much, but I'll tell jokes. We won't talk about anything that's controversial. All right. And we'll we'll talk about, uh, we'll have something good for everybody. But especially for people far from God, there's a card that's in your seat today. This is not a raffle ticket. There's not a drawing later on. But you can take this card and invite someone uh, to come with you, meet you here next Sunday. Uh, you know, write a note on the front part of it. You know, do say, hey, come to church. You know, build a relationship with them. Because here's what happens. It's good for you when you do this. All right? If you're going to be taking that step and do something maybe you haven't done in a while. It's going to be good for that person because they get the opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. These people you're praying for, they get the opportunity to begin that relationship with Jesus. That's good for you. And you know what? And I believe that God blesses you when you're faithful to Him in that way. See, do you remember do you remember what it was like before you came to Jesus? Do you know it was difficult and hard and lonely and scary and maybe you couldn't go to sleep at night sometimes or you'd wake up and you'd worry about something and you didn't really have any peace about things? You thought you did, but you didn't. Do you remember those? See, for most of us, it's been a while since we've thought about what does it feel like to be far from God? because we've walked with Him for a long time, and the longer that you walk with Him, The easier it is to forget where we came from. But we need him, don't we? We can't do anything without him. We need him. We need him to get through life. We couldn't do it without him. We need him. Every moment, every day, we need him.